0: Well hi guys, Heike Yitz here and welcome back to another episode of the Pursue Your Spark Podcast. A show that empowers women over 50 to take back their health and strength with simple fitness strategies. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to make sure that you know how to get your hands on my 5 for 50 Lifestyle Guide for Women Over 50. This guide will help you kickstart or ignite your fitness lifestyle was simple but so doable fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies. I will leave a link in the show notes for you to grab your free guide right away. Now, what have you been thinking or dreaming of as a little girl, what you might become or what job you might want to do as you grow up and as you become an adult? Well, our guest today made her dreams come true and became a fighter pilot. Yeah, of all things, she became a fighter pilot when women were not allowed to fly fighter aircrafts and how she was able to connect other flying girls in a community so they could support each other. So let's dive into today's episode, how girls flying fighters create a supportive community. Enjoy. Hi there, you're listening to the Pursue Your Spark Podcast. I'm your host and fitness warrior, Heike Yates. And on this show, we empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength with sound fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies. Our guests on the show, share their honest stories so that you'll have the courage to take action knowing that you're not alone in your struggles today's guest is melissa may she's a retired air force f-16 pilot who was a cadet at the u.s air force academy when it was against the law for women to fly fighter aircrafts this law changed in her sophomore year and she was in the first wave of women to fly fighters. During her 20-year career, she flew combat missions in the Middle East and Libya. She also lived in Korea, Japan, and Italy, earning a Distinguished Flying Cross for heroism. Only a handful of women have received the Flying Cross, and those include Amelia Earhart and Eileen Collins, a Space Shuttle Commander. Melissa now flies for a major airline while she raises her two kids and balances schedules with her husband, who also flies for a major airline. So welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, I have a question. What does it feel like when you fly a jet? (laughs) What does it feel like? You're sitting in the cockpit. What is it like?
1: Oh it's it's amazing. It's a little bit of a adrenaline rush, um kind of the feel of on a roller coaster. Um always apprehension. I mean for 20 years I flew F16s and I don't think there was ever a day where I didn't have my heart rate raised just a little bit especially on takeoff when you you know put the power up to um afterburner and feel the stages of the afterburner kick in it's It's a rush. I mean, it just,
0: it was so exciting. I miss it. Every day I miss it. You know, we're just watching uh, Captain Picard and the new show uh, with Captain Picard, and they have afterburners, and they're flying these machines. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought about our interview today, and I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool.
1: It is. It's a great job, I have to say. And even in the airlines... I, I miss the F-16. The F-16 was my baby, but still flying
0: 737s, it's not a bad job either. Today, our topic is going to be how girls flying fighters created a supportive community. Before we dive in, I want our listeners to know a little bit more about you. Where did you grow up and, and uh, where you are now and, and how did you become a pilot?
1: I grew up uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah as an only child and a non-Mormon. So as you can imagine, I moved there (laughs) when I was 10 years old. And uh, I, you know, had plenty of friends and and loved it there, but I stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, It was very unusual to um, grow up in those circumstances. And I always joke that it prepared me well for being a girl in a fighter squadron because I was used to being uh, kind of the oddball. But um, I loved living in Utah, the Four Seasons, the mountains, everything outdoorsy. Um, I'm very, very close with my mom and dad, and had a lot of good friends. I was on the swim team. And I also started snowboarding when I was 15 in the late 80s, which as a snowboarder. Um, it was very unusual back then. It wasn't a sport that anybody did. Sometimes my best friend and I would be the only two snowboarders on the entire mountain. And, um, I also started the, the eco scout club for my high school. So I was, I was a little bit of a tree hugger back then. And so it was, it's funny that I ended up in the military. Um, I, uh, in addition, you know, to being a tree hugger and snowboarding, I always wanted to do something different. I didn't want to just stay in Utah, go to college, do all the mainstream things. I, I like doing things that, and and maybe it was attention seeking. I don't know what it was, but I like to do things that were slightly different from mainstream. And I think that it, that mentality or way of thinking is also how I ended up in the military or in the air force. Um, because it was different. I didn't know anybody in the military. I didn't know anybody in the air force and I certainly didn't know any pilots. So as it got closer to, um, my senior year in high school, high school, um, learning about becoming a pilot had a real draw for me because it was different.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, uh, different in what sense? What did you imagine it to be like?
1: Um, well, different in the sense that it, I didn't know anybody else who did it. Different from what my friends were doing, you know. Different from going to the local college. Um, different from you know being a teacher, or a doctor, or a nurse, or any any other occupation. I didn't know what to expect, and in fact, how I got interested in it in the first place was my junior year of high school like I said I was snowboarding I was competing um, on the snowboard which was strange because I was really good because I didn't have any competition <laughs> because <laughs> nobody else at the time especially girls was- unbelievable I never would never thought of that yeah yeah it was it was great I mean I had I'd enter half pipe competition not that I was great or anything and and slalom and downhill and you know it would be my best friend and I up there and maybe one or two other girls (laughs) we all thought we were pretty awesome (laughs) uh it was nothing compared to what you see on tv you're in the olympics today that's all relative right (laughs) yeah exactly i guess not going for the olympics no it was not an olympic sport back then but as um so my junior year in high school I was pretty, I was a conscientious kid and I got good grades and I was a hard worker. Um, But I was really stressed out about what I would be when I grew up. And I started losing sleep. I was looking at colleges and just struggling with what I would major in, what I would do, where I would go. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and just kind of stare out the window and told my mom that I was struggling with it. And she had a conversation with her sister, my aunt, and my aunt came back with, well, she should be a pilot. And my aunt had been a career flight attendant with a major airline. And she said that every time she saw a female captain or a female pilot up there, she thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so my mom mentioned, well, Linda said, you should be a pilot. And, uh, and I was like, I don't know anything about that. I don't, you know, nothing. I didn't have any flying experience. My dad had been a maintenance officer for a few years and he was an aviation fanatic. And, you know, so I had gone to air shows as a kid and I knew what an F-4 looked like, his favorite airplane. And, you know, I liked watching the Thunderbirds, but I never really thought, oh, I could do that. But then my mom, my biggest fan, you know, was super supportive and she said, yeah, you could totally be a pilot. I think that's a great option. And, um, so between my mom, dad, and my aunt, um, kind of leading me in that direction, I, I looked into how to become a pilot and there were some aviation schools, you know, Embry-Riddle, and there was a school in North Dakota. But again, I was concerned about getting a degree in aviation. You know, I, I still, wasn't set on the idea. I thought, well, I need a real degree. I need to go to college and do something and not just be a pilot because what if I don't like it? What, you know, just a million questions. And somehow I stumbled upon the air force Academy and that was really appealing to me because it wasn't just college. It wasn't, you know, just going to Colorado or Utah and getting your four to, four year degree. It was, go to Colorado, put on a uniform, low crawl through the mud and the obstacle course, jump out of airplanes in the summer, you know, uh, fly gliders. um, And oh, by the way, you get a really good four-year degree from a reputable school, and you're guaranteed a job at the other end, and they might send you to go be a pilot. So I, the more I looked into it, And, you know, my mom, again, my dad wasn't so set on the idea. He was like, I don't know about my daughter going into the military, but um, they were supportive of it. And I wrote a letter to the swim coach saying, Hey, I might be interested in this school. And ultimately I ended up being recruited to swim out there and spent four years at the Academy. And later on ended up uh, going to pilot training. So uh, an unusual route compared to a lot of kids who you know, always wanted to be a pilot from the time they were five years old, like
0: my husband. Uh, so you went to go swim first for the military. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so the Air force academy, it's a it's a four year college, um, but you're considered active duty in the military. so we wear a uniform every day. We have cadet rank. And, but they have all the intercollegiate sports. And so, yes, I, I swam all four years there as an intercollegiate athlete while I was getting my degree.
0: Ah, so it was not from the get-go you could fly and jump off things and do all these crazy things?
1: Um, no, you could. So the academy, um, all the summer programs, so you only get three weeks off uh, in the summertime. And then the, so the summers are breaking in down into three sessions, three weeks each. And so you do two summer programs and then one, you know, three week stint where you get to go home or do whatever you want. But I, um, the summer there, I took, uh, soaring and jump, jumped out of airplanes, free fall, um, so you get to do that, and some kids do it during the school year. But I was swimming, so I couldn't do those programs. But they they offer all kinds of exciting things to do during the year there as well.
0: Oh, like this is way more exciting than I can handle. I tell you that, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping out of things is not my thing.
1: Oh, I it's not my thing either. In fact, my palms are sweating right now talking about it. I I did jump the jump program because I wanted one again to, to say I had jumped out of an airplane, you know, to do something different. Mm. And, uh, but I did not like it. I, Oh my gosh, it was terrifying to me. The first jump, I almost didn't go. They, they load up the plane with about, um, maybe 12 to 14 jumpers. And I happened to be the first one out of the plane. And you have this position where you're just standing in this open window, wearing your parachute or open door, Wearing your parachute, and you're in this position, and they say um, stand at the door, and then the jump master kind of taps you on the leg, and that's your cue to to fall out of the airplane. and And she tapped me, and I didn't move. <laughs> and she tapped me again, and I didn't move. And you know they say if they you're you're out, you're out of the program if you don't go. And uh, I happened to know her. She was an upper class cadet in my squadron, and and you know I think she gave me the look like if you don't do this, I am going to kill you. And so I finally went on the third try. But everybody they were like, we well, don't we didn't think you were gonna go. But it was it was terrifying. I didn't like it, but I jumped five times and I got my parachute wings. <laughs>
0: That's so crazy, but you overcame that fear and said, "Okay, what do I want more? I want to really jump. This is what I want to do." Yes, I I did it. I don't know how.
1: You couldn't pay me enough money in the world to do it again, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) More and more now. Yeah. How many? uh, So, when did you actually start to fly jets?
1: So I went to pilot training. I graduated from the Academy in 95 and I um, actually was not allowed to fly for medical reasons. I I was, uh, when I in-processed to the Academy in 91, I was told I wasn't, um, basically I got kicked out. I got kicked back out for medical reasons for scoliosis, crooked spine. But um, being on the swim team, I like to say, saved me being a recruited athlete because they allowed me to stay with a waiver And so I went, uh, four years at the Academy and then upon graduation, I was not fit to fly. Um, so I became an Intel officer, um, did that for a year to, you know, there was schooling involved and did that. And then once I realized, um, Hey, I don't, this isn't what I want. I want to fly, you know? And, and so I was either going to get out of the air force or, And, and, you know, pursue flying the commercial route or I decided to look into if there is any way I could fly for the Air Force. And so um, I did. I I joke that the uh, so the Air Force is always cyclical. We either have an overage of pilots or we are severely undermanned with pilots. And it's just a sine wave. And I when I graduated, they didn't need pilots. So they weren't giving any medical waivers. Um, a couple years later, they did need pilots. So I like to say that the Air Force lowered its standards and they let me in to, <laughs> to fly. Um, but without that, uh, I wouldn't have been to fly, able to fly. In fact, when they let me stay at the Academy, the, the chief flight surgeon or the head doctor, um, you know, I was an 18 year old kid scared to death thinking I'm getting kicked out of the Academy and he was mad that the athletic department sort of overruled him. And he said, well, you get to stay. congratulations, but God forbid you ever do any programs here. If you ever ejected or you'll never fly. If you ever ejected, you'd be an instant vegetable, you know, and those words, uh, that was tough wow. to hear. Um,
0: that is tough. It and was you, When you think about scoliosis, I would have never thought that this may be a, a handicap when it comes to this kind of job.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there when you uh, fly high-performance aircraft, the G-forces, you know, that, that sensation that you get when you're at the bottom of a roller coaster, when your legs feel really heavy or your arms feel heavy, um, the F-16 pulls nine, nine Gs, so your body weight is nine times, so your head alone you know, I don't know the average, how much does a head weigh? 10? 12 to 16. Oh, oh, 12 to 16. Yeah. So I don't do math in public, but times up I'm, by nine. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Right. So um, fighter pilots have a lot of back um, and spine compression issues and problems with our necks. So that's why, you know, the guy said that in ejection, you know, that the forces are very strong if you eject. So you know, they, they watch out for that. But lucky for me in 96, they changed the rules for scoliosis. And I went from not even being able to be commissioned in the air force without a waiver to sure. Go to pilot training, no
0: restrictions, have fun. So I went uh, off to pilot training. And so you went off to pilot training, all pumped and ready to roll. What happened then? Um. So it it's probably a good
1: thing that I went to pilot training a couple years after I graduated because once I found out as a cadet that I would not fly airplanes, I goofed off um <laughs> a little more than I should have. Uh because um I was like, well, I'm gonna graduate and I'm gonna have a job, so I'm not competing for anything. So so I had a great time at the academy it was the hardest thing i've done but it was a good experience for me but then i had a couple years where i was an intel officer and i worked and matured and then i went down the road um to pilot training i was married already um my husband in the air forces while i met him as a cadet and uh i just showed up to pilot training and it um UPT, it's called undergraduate pilot training, is a merit-based program. And so I knew that my airplane selection would be based on how well I performed in UPT. And I went into it with, hey, I've, I've had my time to play. I've seen what the Air Force is like in another career field. I don't know necessarily what I want to fly right now, but I want to do as well as I can so that I either get my first choice or that I don't have any regrets if I don't get my first choice. You know, I didn't want to get an airplane and go, oh, I didn't want this one. I should have worked harder. So I went into it all out and that year of pilot training was, I loved it, but I can say that that's the hardest year I have ever worked. It, it was, um, it was a challenge for me, but I put my nose to the grind and, and I worked as hard as I could and
0: had no regrets and got my first choice. And what, what was the challenge or one of the challenges um, that you can talk about? To uh
1: it just it's a year that is all consuming. And um the challenge for me was to um go you know, you spend 12 hours a day. In fact, they don't let you leave in less than 12 hours initially. Um, It was foreign to me. Like I said, I didn't grow up around airplanes or have much flying experience at all. So it was all new material. Um, I am not a math and techie person. I majored in behavioral science. Mm -hmm. So I'm a fuzzy major, as they say. Um, And then being in a class, I love my classmates. Um, but I was, I was the only girl in my class. So I'll admit that that was a little bit of a challenge. I, I was somewhat prepared because the Academy at the time when I was there, it was only eight to 10% women, but being the only one sometimes is, is hard. You know, I'm not the first person that the guys are choosing to have as their study partner, but you know, I fell into groups and and made really, really great friends there, but it was 12 hours a day at work and then going home and forcing myself to study more and not just turn on the TV and veg and missing my husband who was down the road three hours away in San Antonio. And just the focus for a year. Like I said, I kind of played in college a little bit and, and it was, it was just a tough time.
0: Yeah. So how many women were there in your class altogether?
1: So, um, the, Our pilot training class, I want to say was about three, gosh, this was a long time ago, but there were were three women total, three of us, but we split into flights after we do a couple months of academics where we were all together, but then after that, we split into two flying flights, and so it's like two separate classes, and the other two girls went in the other class, and I was alone in mine. Mhm
0: mhm so you but you created the the CFPA the Chick Fighter Pilot Association what is yeah. that all about
1: so yeah so pilot training that um you know it was it was a year of pilot training and then i had another full year of training in F-16. So in pilot training, you fly, we flew back then, T-37s and T-38s. And then you do a three month course in T-38s at another location. And I was the only girl in that class. And then I went to um, eight to 10 months of F-16 training in Arizona, another location again, where I was the only girl. And then I went to a base in Korea for my first year and a half and Um, I was the only girl in my squadron for a year. And then, um, another girl showed up, um, at my year point. And then I went to Japan for three and a half years again, you know, being, um, there were a couple girls on base there. So I was thankful for that, but, you know, so for my first, however many years that is five years in fighters, plus two years of training, seven years, not really around any other women ever. Um, but then for my third assignment, I ended up at Luke Air Force Base, which is our F-16 schoolhouse. And it was the biggest fighter base in the entire world. We had eight squadrons and squadrons are, you know, a unit of 24. So, well, it might be 24 pilots. Um, and, and we had eight of them at Luke Air Force Base. And so, for example, in Korea and Japan, there were only two squadrons on the base. So we get to Luke and there were eight. And of those eight, there were four other female instructor pilots like me. And that was just unheard of. So there were five of us on base, all instructing, not to mention a handful of girls that were students. And it was just super cool. It was really, really neat to have other girls there. And I mean, I will admit it was unusual because we just, none of us were used to that. And we knew, like I had mentioned earlier, we, if we didn't know each other, we knew of each other because it was such a small community to begin with. And every guy who knew a girl would always ask us, Oh, do you know stack? I know stack. Oh, do you know Tori? You know, they, they all assume we know each other, which is actually kind of true and funny, but, um, we decided one day that we should all go to lunch together. And we, you know, we weren't working in the same squadron or work section, but we would see each other on occasion, but we decided one day to go to lunch and it was the greatest lunch and time that I've ever had connecting with instant connections to these girls. You know, sometimes I think women, you can, turn into the alpha and be threatened by other girls out there. You know, if you're such a minority or you're like, I'm the girl, I'm the token girl of the squad. (laughs) But, um, these girls, it was not like that at all. We were all in our late twenties, early thirties, married, um, no kids, but you know, and very career oriented, but most of us wanted kids, wanted families. Um, we'd been successful in our careers thus far. And we, just had such a great time um, meeting one another, getting to know each other. So we started going to lunch a couple, you know, once a month and then that evolved into going out to dinners or girls night out. And these girls have become my best friends. You know, we had similar experiences, similar um, objectives and goals, and and they just are the most amazing women I've I've ever met and um so from there one day at lunch we were joking around that that you know it should be a thing look there are, there are five of us we're we're like a we're a force to be reckoned with five <laughs> five chicks flying fighters and we um one of the girls said we should have a name and so when you're a lieutenant in a fighter squadron um, they call it a lieutenant is the lowest rank in the Air Force and lieutenants, they have an LPA, the Lieutenant Protection uh, Association, lieutenant, you know, and it's, it's the LPA, they all look out for each other. And, you know, it, it's great, because we take care of the lieutenants, but they take care of each other. And, and so the LPA is very well known and we joked, or one friend came up with, she's like, we should have the, the CFPA, the Chick Fighter Pilot Association, and the name stuck, and so we, um, we became the CFPA, all five of us, and we decided that we should reach out. It was such a good thing and such a positive experience um, to be around other women that we decided we would try and find the other girls that were flying fighters in the Air Force. And so we reached out to not only other F-16 girls, but girls flying F-15s, F-15Es, and A-10s, and uh, started emailing. This is, the internet was out, but um, email was the primary means of communication. And we decided a few months later that we should all try and meet up in Vegas. And we did, and we had, there were, I think there were less than 50 girls flying fighters at the time in the whole air force. And uh, we had 28 of them show up in Vegas. And that was the first CFPA reunion. That is so cool. It was awesome. And we had just such a great time together. I mean, it really, it's such a neat group, small group of women that have similar experiences and um, it's a great support network. It's, it's nothing Official and that we don't have dues. We're not raising money. We don't have a president. But it's just a means of um, communicating. Now we have a Facebook group um, and just communicate with each other and share stories and mentorship. And um, it's it's fantastic. It really is. And so we started it in 2007. I think maybe first emails went out in 2006. And here it is 2020. I think last I looked there were upwards of 150 girls on there, and it's, uh, it's pretty awesome.
0: That is amazing, because in a, such a male-dominant environment, I can imagine it's tough being the only girl, like you said, in a class, or there's only 20 of us being so dominated by a, a male environment, the way they do things, the way they behave, the way they talk to each other. And it is different, no matter what other people say. It's like, men talk different to men than to women. Do yes. You, do you feel that you guys had to deal a lot with that kind of problem?
1: Um. Yeah, of course. We all had our fair share of jerks that we had to, <laughs> to deal with. Um. But I will say, the girls that I know... Um, And, and my attitude is we don't, we don't dwell on that, you know, that for every jerk out there, there are 20 that are awesome. And so, um, yeah, we've had to deal with it, but we don't, we don't worry about those guys. We, you know, ignore them and move on. Um, but the bigger issues that we, you know, partly what the CFPA and our number one priority is that it did not turn into a man bashing group you know, because we did, we all, I look back on my career and I loved it. I loved flying fighters. I loved the people I worked with. It, I, uh, it just, it was fantastic. It was amazing. Um, and the, my good friends, the girls, um, that started the CFPA, we all felt the same way. And so we were very careful that this was not turning into a woe is me man bashing group. It was more for mentorship like how would you handle a situation you know that arose you know or maybe somebody treated you unfairly but more importantly it was um female specific issues like hey i want to start a family i want to get pregnant what is the best time to do that because at the time and it is still true today if you're in a fighter aircraft the second you find out you're pregnant you are grounded and so nine months out of the jet If you're out six months, you have to go all the way back through a recall class, which is, I don't even know, four months long, I think. And nobody wants to do that. And then if you're an instructor pilot, you have to start all over again as a wingman and then work your way up to flight lead and then work your way up to instructor again. And, you know, so pregnancy is a big issue. And then post-pregnancy, what do you do if you're still flying the jet and you're breastfeeding? You know, or... Our life support gear. It I'm I'm five foot four and 115 pounds. And I think the average parachute harness is geared towards a dude who's probably 5'10 and 200 pounds, you know, or 180 pounds. So our life support gear was not um really designed for small statured women and flight suits and piddle packs. Like we fly some long sorties. The longest flight I've ever had was 12 hours. And yes, it was long. And I never peed in the jet. (laughs) Pretty (laughs) blunt right now. But you know, there was not a good solution to to go to the bathroom in the airplane. The guys have their piddle packs and, you know, it's easy for them. But what what do the rest of us do so it's funny it's these things that nobody talks about and um but when a new
0: girl joins the, one of the first questions is how do i use the pedal bag you know <laughs> so, i mean that's true because i mean let's if we're going there it's like you have your period too i mean if you're flying for this long you gotta do things in the bathroom exactly
1: yep so that's kind of the reason that we started this and, you know, joint spouse assignments, like, Hey, my, my husband's a pilot too. Where can we go to, you know, that we can be stationed together. And so, yeah, all kinds of crazy issues that you don't talk about with the guys, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, although I have a funny story. When I was a student, um, going through my F-16 training, we have the F-16 is a single seat, Aircraft, but our trainers have two seats. Um, So on some of our beginning flights, we have an instructor pilot in the back seat. And I was flying this flight and the instructor beforehand was like, you need to use the pedal pack today. And I'm thinking, you're crazy, dude. But he's adamant. He does it to everybody. And I, you know, every student, which is actually fair. And I see his point because it's not the easiest thing to to pee in an airplane when you're the only person that the soul controls and our autopilot is kind of a joke. So but this guy in the backseat, I'm like, I'm not peeing with you in the backseat of my airplane. You know, it just, it was hysterical, but um, yeah, but it would be nice now there are some girls out there. So I I get it. Like, Hey, could you fly one of my long, longer sorties and let me see how this thing works with somebody in the backseat as a backup pilot, you know? So just, yeah, we've, we've come a long way.
0: Yep, yeah, so for all the people that are out there, you know, there's other ways that we think about when you have to go to the bathroom that I never thought of in the wildest dreams.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I can go into tons of details. We can say that. It's its its own talk in itself.
0: But this is so cool that the, you guys created the supportive community to talk about things that either you don't want to talk about in public or you don't want to talk to about a guy like you just said, but that you can share amongst or share your experiences from somebody like you who's more seasoned than the other girls in the group. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So what, did, what did your husband, who's also a pilot, think when you just went full on into this career? He is
1: awesome. Um, so, my husband and I met, he was actually. Uh, on the swim team with me at the Air Force Academy, and he was a medical misfit, like myself. And so when he graduated, he was an engineer, and I got the waiver or the acceptance to go to pilot training first, and he was so supportive of that. His dad was an Air Force pilot, and my husband always wanted to fly airplanes. And so when, you know, we were newly married, and I said, hey, I'm going to uproot everything that we have talked about in our future. And I want to go to pilot training. And he, we talked about our career fields because a pilot and an engineer are not that compatible. And so he said, all right, well, I'll try and change my career field. I'll try and be a maintenance officer and and follow you around. And, um, you know, super supportive, great guy. Luckily, like I said, the air force needed pilots and he was able to get a medical waiver as well. His was for vision. And so I went down the road to pilot training and six to nine months later, he followed me and he ended up going to pilot training as well and flying F-16s. And the two of us, we have parallel careers you know we were just joking the other day about how we look like clones on paper you know we we both were late rated going to pilot training we both went to korea we both we were always assigned together but when as pilots we don't just fly airplanes for a living as much as i would love to only fly an airplane in the air force we have jobs on the ground as well as a training officer a scheduler or a life support officer and he and i pretty much had the exact same jobs throughout our entire career. And he just, it was great. We always prioritized being together um, over our career moves. And fortunately the air force took care of both of us. So we were together every assignment and we also were given good assignments that were good for our careers. And we just lucked out. We, We look back and we're like, we're the luckiest couple in the entire air force. That's how we feel.
0: That is amazing. That's yeah. so good to hear. Now, I wanted to know more about your flying cross. What is the story behind getting a flying cross like Amelia Earhart and Eileen Collins? <laughs> wow, well, just I wanna know. I wanna know this is like cool stuff that I don't get every day.
1: <laughs> oh um, well, I don't it you know, I don't really hype that up too much. And I, I never tell the story of it because to me, um, I was just doing my mission. We were deployed. We were flying combat. Uh, we were based in Saudi Arabia, flying into Baghdad. It was the fourth night of Operation Iraqi Freedom. So I don't, you know, people seem to remember shock and awe when that was on the news and and it was the first time back into Baghdad um, in 2003. First time we had been there since 1991. And I was on that mission, and it was a a four ship of F-16s, and everyone um, did their part. We were re-rolled into a different mission than what we originally planned. The weather was terrible. They were shooting at us. We were shooting back, dropping bombs and shooting anti-radiation missiles. And um, it, was, it was some pretty, it was a big night. I'll put it that way. And um, it just, you know, our team employed and did a great job. All four of us uh, came back home and we were able to conduct our mission and the Air Force or whoever decides, you know, that things are a big deal. They, they decided that one was kind of a big deal. And so we were awarded the, the distinguished flying cross, which I'm honored that I have gotten, um, that I was awarded that. But like I said, I was just doing my job. All four of us were and, um, you know, honored and proud that we
0: could execute. I like that. Proud. Be proud because this is some big stuff that you're doing there. And, uh, and I, I always highlight all my guests who have accomplishments that people should know about. And it's like you said, you did your job, but it's more than your job. It's your passion. It's your your inspiration and your support of, of what you do in the world of fighter chicks.
1: <laughs> I Yes, it is my passion. It, it I mean, I just, I still, I pinch myself every day that I got to do that.
0: Yeah. Now, Melissa, you have actually decided to have kids. Yes.
1: Yes. I have two of them.
0: (laughs) You took the leap out of the cockpit and said, all right, I'm going to have two kids. And how did you make this work? How did this progress after you said, okay, I'm going to have kids. And and after you shared with us what the, the rules are, having kids and flying. So
1: yeah, we um I made it a personal choice that I would not have kids while I was in a flying assignment. Just I didn't, you know, being one of the first girls to still be in fighter squadrons, um I didn't want to ruin it for the girls behind me because like I said if if I got pregnant, I was grounded immediately and um I just I didn't want to do that and so I leaving Japan actually our second assignment we asked our bosses hey can we get a non-flying assignment because we wanted to have kids I was you know 30 or 32 and the clock was ticking and um, my husband and I were ready to start a family but then they gave us another flying assignment so we put it off a couple more years and then found out that after um, you know, the assignment where we created the CFPA, I would be going to a non-flying staff, staff assignment in Colorado, essentially. So it, was, it meant three years out of the jet. And w- the first year, I'd be getting my master's degree and then two years working at the Air Force Academy. And so it was perfect. My husband and I both had the assignment and we decided, okay, time to go. And so we started trying about I don't know two months before we left Luke Air Force Base thinking, well it takes forever to have a kid and we only have three years and bam got pregnant on the first try. So (laughs) I like to say my my son has flown in an F-16 and pulled nine G's and you know he he was there. Um so I was grounded for my last month um month or two in Phoenix and then two two kids later on the non-flying assignment. you know, we, we made it work. It was great. Three, we had three years out. My son was born what in six, six or seven months into the, the non-flying assignment. My daughter was born, um, right before we were done with the non-flying assignment. So it, it was great because non-flying assignments, you have more control of your schedule. You know, it's more of a nine to five type job, no deployment. So it was a great time for us to start our family. And we were thrilled about it. But when it came up, we still had five years left in the Air Force before we could retire. So when it came up to choosing or, you know, being chosen for another assignment, neither of us were ready to be done flying fighters. And it was, it was a hard decision because here you are, I had a two year old and a, a, you know, two month old saying, well, do we, want to go back to F-16s or should we pick something, you know, a little more nine to five or, and I just, I, I, part of me, I, I definitely wasn't ready to be done flying fighters, but another part of me was like, no, I am, you know, going to be one of the oldest girls in fighters and to have kids, I'm going to show the other girls that I can do this. And so that was, really a large part of why I wanted to go back to F-16s. I wanted to show, look, you can fly and have a family. It's not mutually exclusive. And so we, leaving Colorado, we were so fortunate and got, you know, the assignment that everyone wants. And we were sent to Italy for three years. And so with a two-year-old and a four-month-old, we are two, I guess she was two months. I went back through F-16 recall um and it got qualified in the F16 again and we were sent to Italy and you know so my son was 2 years and 3 months and my daughter was 4 months or you know whatever very close and young and it was eye opening i will not sugarcoat and say it was an easy assignment when we got to italy um it was it, it, the Libya, um, Benghazi and Libya and flying combat missions there. All of that stuff kicked off six months after we were there. And the base in Italy that we we're stationed at was the closest fighter base to northern Africa. So we went from, hey, we, you know, fly during the day. We fly our training missions. We deploy if we need to. Um, but it is where we do our training in Italy to pack your gun. We're loading up live weapons, and you guys are flying combat missions 24-7 into Libya. And with the kids now age one and three, we had a live-in nanny with us, but she had asked to take a couple weeks off because her family was visiting. And so we we're like, sure, we can manage. And boom that's when everything hit with no notice. And it was the closest to a nervous breakdown that I've ever had. I had to drop my kids off at the base daycare that opened seven days a week, thankfully. But, um, you know, I hadn't seen my husband in a few days because this war had started and, you know, we were working crazy long hours around the clock and, The first day I was scheduled to fly, it was a Saturday, a few days into this. And I drove my kids to the base daycare, which had accepted them. um, And I dropped them off and I drove to work crying, thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm going to go drop bombs. I just dropped off my babies and now I am going to go fly a combat mission. And it was just surreal. It was emotional, but I was super stressed with everything going on and, um, drove to work and, you know, we fighter pilots do a great job of compartmentalizing. And that means you take whatever issues you have going on in your personal life and you wrap it up and put it in a little compartment in the back of your brain and you ignore it for the next few hours. And then you go on to the mission. Um, So I compartmentalized and composed myself and went into work and flew my mission to Libya. And, uh, you know, hadn't seen my husband and the daycare could only keep the kids for 10 hours. So I called one of the squadron wives, a wife of a guy in my squadron and said, Hey Jen, I, uh, they can only watch my kids for 10 hours. Can you please just pick them up, you know, 10 hours from now and just keep them safe. I don't know when Mike will be home. I don't know when I'll be home. Just please get the kids, you know? And again, the the squadron wives are awesome. They, the network is so tight and so good. And she's like, I got it. I got it. And so I didn't have to worry about my kids. Um, when I came home that night or whenever, you know, I called Jen, Hey, where are the kids? Oh, I had to pass them off to somebody else, you know, but the, the, the wives network, they took care of them. They took care of us. They stepped in. They were making, you know, taking care of my kids, doing our laundry. It just, it was a crazy, crazy time. But um, getting back to, you know, relying on on your your people, your, you know, whether it's a CFPA or um, for me at the time, it was the squadron wives that I relied on them. They took care of us. They were my best friends at the time. And how I'm, long
0: did this go on, Melissa? For how long did this go um,
1: You know, initially, it was, oh, it was so chaotic. Um, it went on for a couple of months, but I finally had to break down. I called my parents and I, I flew them out to Italy. I was like, we need help. We can't do this. And so, you know, I'm thankful for my mom and dad who are just awesome and always willing to step in and help. And and they came out and helped out with the childcare and the family. But yeah, the Libya missions, we were flying for a couple of months.
0: Wow. That's extremely stressful when you have little kids. There's also no guarantee that you will come back.
1: Right. Yeah. And that thought crosses your mind for sure. Mm -hmm. We had a couple of guys eject over there. I mean, they made it back luckily, but yeah, you You know, it, you don't, you don't think that you always think, oh, it'll never happen to me because that's what you have to think. But yeah, it's, it was a stressful time. It was, you know, usually we deploy, we say goodbye to our loved ones. We pack everything up. You get all of your affairs in order and you say, I am deploying to X country and you fly your combat missions from the country and you're removed from your family. You miss them, but you you don't have to think about them. I mean, I was dropping my kids off, flying combat missions and coming back and changing diapers. It was, it was
0: surreal. It was crazy, crazy, crazy. What was the, the, when did you decide to leave the air force? <laughs> During that time, <laughs> During that time. <laughs>
1: well, you know, that, that was for me, um, you know, I like to say it was kind of my, my pivotal moment. It, um, I, I didn't leave then. I still served another, that was 20, 2011. So I still went another four years after that, but that was the time where I really had to weigh my, my pros and cons and figure out my priorities. I mean, I loved the fact that I still got to fly f 16s, um, and my kids were around it. And, um, but Italy was a difficult assignment. It was so busy for us. It was really, really hard on the family with the kids being the ages that they were and how much the air force asked of us in that assignment. You know, I kind of made up my mind, okay, I'm going to retire at 20 years when I was over there. And so we did one more assignment after Italy. We went back to the schoolhouse as instructors. And that, I i honestly, thinking back, I probably could have stayed there forever because it was an, an easier pace, you know, teaching new F-16 pilots how to fly the jet. They were so motivated. They were so excited. Um, the threat of flying combat missions from home was not there. Um, but you know, being in Italy during that time, I pretty much made up my mind, okay, when I hit 20 years, I'm going to be done.
0: Yeah. And then what, when you decide, like you said, after four years, you decided that you were going to go move on. And what did you decide to do?
1: Um, the airlines, funny enough, because, you know, when you, my whole time flying F-16s, I never really had any interest in going to the airlines. I mean, the F-16, that is the pinnacle of flying in my opinion like I
0: gotta does- ask you I gotta ask you one thing because yeah. uh what's the difference between the f-16 and the f-12 or whatever they are we don't know these numbers what does it mean so the f-16 is a single seat
1: multi-role fighter and it um it's old you know now there are much newer and better airplanes out but the f-16 it is multi-role so it does both air to air and air to ground so we can do every mission in the F16 um, they call it the jack of all trades master of none because the F15 at the time and it's still F15 and F22 um, they are mostly solely air to air fighters you know so they're the ones that do the long range fight or the close in dog fighting and they're really really good at it we do that in the F16 but um, you know we maybe not quite as good as them, depending on the pilot.
0: <laughs> wow, <laughs> but, so when I was like, I hear all these numbers and <laughs> F's, and I was like, if I don't know, my audience doesn't know either. I'm like, we're gonna clarify. Is this like the the bomber of all bombers, or is this the fastest oh. of all fastest?
1: <laughs> Lesson: If it, if a jet has an F in front of it, and that would be F16, F15, F22, F35. Um, for the Air Force airplanes, the F is fighter, the A-10 is lumped in with the fighters, but A is for attack, and A-10 does air to ground, Um, and then, you know, if you hear of an airplane with a B, like the B-52, or the B-1, or the B-2, those are bombers, Um, C is for cargo, so um uh c5 those are cargo airplanes and then our tankers are kc so kc135 um kc10 so that there's a quick and dirty now now your air force lesson for the day
0: you know what this is so cool because when you say these names like b52 i'm like oh yeah there's a group that's called (laughs) b52 yes But this is good to know because we hear these things in in the news. We read about them. And I'm yeah. sure uh, I'm not the only one who wonders. I'm like, what does that mean? And that was such a, like you said, a quick and dirty good lesson. So listeners, you never know what you get on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. There <laughs> you have it. <laughs>
1: They they make it pretty simple. You know, pilots are not the smartest tools in the shed. So, you know, our sharpest tools in the shed. So they, you know, put the F in front of it so we know that we're in a fighter.
0: <laughs> so now you're flying commercial.
1: Now I'm flying commercial. Yep. I uh, I didn't think I would, even within my last year in the Air Force, I knew I was going to retire, but I thought, oh, I'll just find some sort of part-time gig, you know, do do something I enjoy and that I can be with the kids a lot and, and, um, make a little side money. But, you know, as it got closer and closer to retirement, I've looked in the airlines more and more and it is my passion. I love flying. So, you know, the thought of never flying again was a little bit heartbreaking and, uh, being an airline pilot although right now i may be out of a job in a few months <laughs> with the state of current things but it is it's a really flexible job you know i can work as much or as little as i want and so i'm home with the kids a lot but i still get my flying fix and i love to go fly
0: what are final words for our listeners that you would say that they can inspire and support each other on their journey in life
1: oh man final words um I would say just look forward to the adventure. I mean, you know, when I, it was funny when I looked at some of your questions or heard some of your questions and, you know, looking back to how I was as a kid, I, I really didn't have any fear of, of failing. And that has always been my attitude. Like just try it, go, go do it. What do you have to lose? And, um, you know, so look forward to the adventure what, so what if you fail? So what if you don't get what you want? Um, and then be flexible. Things don't always work out the way that you anticipate them going. And I saw that a lot throughout my career, but you know, instead of dwelling on bad things, I, you know, like we talked about that, the, the one jerk out of 20, like I could dwell and be sad about those guys, but why, you know, just ignore them and move on, move on. Look, look for the good that there is. Cause there's plenty of good all around and, um, don't, don't be afraid to be different. You know, that's kind of how I was. I, I, um, you know, growing up in Utah, I was different, but it didn't bother me. I was okay with that. And being in a fighter squadron, I was definitely different. You know, now there are a few of us that are different, but it doesn't make me afraid. It doesn't, make me have a chip on my shoulder. I embrace it. I love it. And I just do the best I can and rely on your, it's totally cliche, but rely on your tribe. Um, you know, for me, the CFPA, they, those girls are awesome. I love them. They get me through daily life still. Um, and then like I talked about the the girls when we were in Italy, I could not have survived that time without Those the wives helping us out. You know, sometimes people think it's really hard to ask for help, and it is. Nobody wants to admit weakness, but you have to do it. You have to ask for help and rely on people to get through.
0: That's awesome. How can people reach you and learn more about you, Melissa?
1: Oh gosh, well I've pretty much cornered the market on Shock F sixteen. Shock is my call sign. Can I tell you what it's an acronym for? Absolutely. Okay, I'm so proud of my call sign. It's shock s-h-o-c-k and it's uh the the guys in my squadron named me and I carried with me through the whole air force but it's scarlet haired ovulating commie killer so <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it so your little shock,
1: shock <laughs> yes so shock f16 i have i have the market i have it for shock f16 at hotmail and for facebook and linkedin i think i'm i'm pretty much shock f16 all over the internet are you also on instagram i am on instagram shock f16 funny enough
0: oh my god i
1: I didn't even look that up i gotta look that up (laughs) i'm not i'm not Totally active on Instagram, but um, I'm trying. I have a lot more time on my hands these days. So um, (laughs) social media is becoming more
0: and more uh, frequent. Frequent. So Melissa, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And it was super interesting to learn all these things and get to know you more. And I want to tell our listeners too, if they want to reach out to either one of us, you got the shocks F-16 handle guys. And you can reach Melissa and all those handles, or you reach out to me at Heike Yates or the Pursue Your Spark podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm at Heike Yates, Pursue Your Spark. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Let us know if you had any questions or if you wanted to know more that Melissa has the expertise in. So please reach out to us. And with that, thanks so much for being here, Melissa. Thank you so much, that was fun.